Buffy says, I'm pooped. Like, I'm tired. I don't know why she would say I'm pooped. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, she would yeah. never say that. Um, but on the typewriter, I misspelled it. So it basically says, it says, I pooped. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I send in. Welcome to Creative Insanity. Hey guys, my name is Servant. I am a rap artist and producer out of Canada who is also an aspiring author. Today on the podcast, I have Crystal Bork, who is a dark fantasy author also from Canada, best known for her novels in the Book of Eve series. But she's also a fantastic short story author who has published many stories, including her anthology, The Last Gardener. Crystal writes a short story for us called The Bone Setter that she reads and I follow up with a bit of critique. It's very well done, very entertaining, and I know you're going to love it. We also talk about how we both strived for professions in the wrong subject, how a passion like writing can continue to call you throughout your life even if you ignore it. And funnily enough, we get into how she might have legitimately, possibly, written the inspiration for a Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, Joss Whedon, Don't Sue Us. And on the whole, we examine the difference between books and film and how they inspire us individually and how as mediums differently impact the imagination. This is just a fun episode. Honestly, I try to make all my episodes entertaining and interesting to listen to, but they're also here to get you in the zone of creativity, for you to experience a bit of creativity, for you to listen to it, think about it, and get you feeling like you can do this too. Or if you haven't done it in a while, you can get back at it. So without further ado, uh, I welcome you to this conversation. Let's get into it. <laughs> I'm ready. You're ready. Okay, let's do it. Crystal Bork, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is, I'm very excited and pumped about this. Yeah, me too. I'm even more pumped that you wrote a story for us. I know. I'm very pumped I wrote a story too, because it's, it's been a while since I've, I've written a story. So I'm glad that this is my, I guess, first foray back into short stories. It's mm -hmm. kind of awesome. Yeah it's, yeah. it's been inspiration for myself as well, doing these story episodes. And I mean, Garrett, he was the first guy that we had on and he wrote a story. It was like the first one he finished in a little while, though he was writing. And yeah. then he's just been writing ever since. And for me, I've been writing ever since. So yeah, there's something magical about having a deadline. Oh, like definitely. I feel like that really helped. I also like that the, the a little bit of a competition factor as well. <laughs> you know that like, you know, I'm waiting for your story or other people's stories. Um, and if you don't get it done, it would be, might be a little, not that a huge amount of judgment, but like right. you want to make sure it's good. You want to make sure you get it done. Um, and apparently I work really well with deadlines. So that was also a, a yeah. good Yeah. Me to too, yeah. oddly. I'm not a schedule guy, but I really struggle with it for some reason. But a deadline with friends expecting you to write to the same prompt, that makes me all kinds of competitive in a good way. Like, ah, oh, I'm going to make yeah. this happen. So, Yeah, no, definitely. It's like, it's almost like if you want to go to the gym, but you need that buddy to go with you, otherwise mm -hmm. you're not going to go. Not, I mean... I guess writing is like working out some muscles, but yeah. not, not in the same way. But it's uh, definitely more motivating, I find, for myself to um, have other people, uh, I guess, working on the same thing or working towards the same goal. And mm -hmm. uh, 
it, it just definitely kind of kicks my butt into gear a little bit, which again, super appreciated because I think I needed it. Well, I'm glad. And it's also, I think, an interesting factor of these sorts of prompts that you have no idea what the other person is going to come up with. You're like, yeah. I'm going with this angle. I have like, what angle are they going to take? Exactly. And like, that's, I think I was saying this to you before, but that's my absolute favorite, favorite part, because at least in my experience, anytime that I do this, I've never come across anyone who's written sort of the same thing. It's always completely different. And I'm more excited about that part, the part of like, well, what did, what angle did you take? Um, than almost what I'm writing sometimes, because uh, it's kind of like insight into someone's brain and that I find really fascinating. Mm. Um, and that's why prompts are good. And that's why they work really, really well. Yeah, I think writing in general, like the form of fiction is superior in some ways to other forms because it is the most like telepathy there is, right? It's the, you get to write giant swaths of a train of thought and craft it. And that exactly transplants into someone else's head. So you really do get inside someone else's head in a way, like in, in a much more intimate way than other forms I find. And I, I also love to just, um, like stylistically, you get a huge snapshot into a writer's style of writing. Mm. And quite often it's just so, it's so different from my own. Um, and it's just, especially if you haven't read the writer's writing before, it's, it's just, it's very unique to me because often, quite often being in your own head as a writer, you think kind of, I guess everybody kind of writes the same way, even though you read other fiction and you think, you know, oh, there's different styles, but yeah. um, I like both elements, the like the different styles that come out and then the different ideas for the prompts. Um, it's kind of magic. So um, as much as I, I often will not want to do a prompt. Again, this was like a really good exercise and it made me really excited about um, not only writing it, but also reading yours and, and uh, seeing what you came up with. Well, I appreciate it. And ditto. So before we get into your story, um, let's get into your story about okay. who, <laughs> into who you are as a person a bit, because I mean, I know you fairly well. I've known you for, is it two or three years? Well, I feel like it's been longer than that. Maybe three years, three years minimum then I'd say three or four. No. It's been, it's been years tend to like blend into each other. I'm sure I, because yeah. we met. It might friends. be four. It might be four. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause yeah, we, four. I'd say four. We'll yeah. go with four. Okay. We'll say four years. <laughs> that's, that's pretty safe. Um, yeah. It's been a while and we've been part of the same writers group um, that has just been impossible to kill it just keeps going on and on yeah, and on so good. Mm -hmm. and it shifted to like it's not just a writer's group but i think it's a group of friends that we check up on each other once in a while and yeah which is also good because yeah. uh, i think you know just just to be a writer's group um there is one thing about reading people's stories but uh when it involves into you know the friendships and the checking in and and um because life happens. Um, it's uh, our, our group is pretty special, I would say, for the four or three years that it's been. Yeah, that. however long it's been. <laughs> we could scroll through the Facebook chat and just find out. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a long scroll, but it would be yeah. 
we begin. <laughs> We've got some novels in there. Um, so, but that's just, that's how I met you. Right. And I I got introduced to your fiction. I had, I'd read a collection of your short stories. Um, I think that was the big body work that I tackled, but I, I'm also aware you've written, is it a trilogy so far? It's a trilogy so far. There's going to be four books total in this series. Um, so I am working on the last book right now, but three are currently out. Yeah. Cool. Tell it, tell me just a little bit, give me a little pitch, give me a little snippet of that. What's Um, it about? So it's, uh, I mean, the title of the series is a book of Eve series. Um, so it's basically, um, it's, it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets, uh, angels and demons. Um, it's, uh, it plays with the creation story. So with, uh, Adam and Eve and what happened in the garden, mm. uh, um, and basically, uh, this, this, uh, young woman has been reincarnated to basically save mankind from the original sin. Um, but the thing is, she doesn't necessarily believe in God or uh, angels and demons, at least uh, at first. Mm. And um, so over the course of these three novels so far, it's basically um, a, a journey of her discovering who she is, what she can do. Um, and then, uh, you know, it's going to end up with her hopefully saving the world. So um, <laughs> we... <laughs> pretty uh i guess challenging to tackle in terms of like first novels um and uh i definitely after this book is done want to try and write a standalone novel because i think it's almost easy to write a series these days because you know everybody's kind of doing it because it's it's uh at least in the the indie sort of world because the more books you have in this in this uh one world and if people really love it they love to continue reading um and it's an easy way to to i guess um uh get people hooked and 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 really into a series Mm. uh but it's also depending on how you write and how long it takes to write um it can be quite uh I guess I'm ready to move on to the right. next. Could be a bit exhausting, maybe. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah, yeah. all right. So I, I, you feel like some of the novelty, maybe for you, because you've been in it much more than the readers have, you starts to wear on you, and you're like, I want to try new shores, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is, I think, you develop a love hate relationship with your characters <laughs> because, and especially after writing the the third book, um, I definitely needed a break from them. Um, I mean, some of them did things that I was not very happy with. So it's like, Mm. okay, book four, like, how do we, you know, (laughs) how do we bring things back around? Um, and so sometimes a break is necessary. Um, and I'm falling in love with them again now that I'm working on the fourth book and there's been some time in between and I know where it's going. Um, but I, I don't think I'm going to, uh, try and extend the series in any way to say, Oh no, now there's suddenly, you know, like a fifth book, it will definitely, uh, end at the fourth, I think it'll be, it's, it's just a good place to end it. Um, uh, you know, end of the world type thing. Yeah. So cool. Pretty nice to end that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about series two is even though you craft a story, each one, I'm sure, you know, they have beginning, middle and end, when you when you kind of bookend them together and it becomes a giant series, something about why 
part of me said when you said it's kind of easier for a lot of authors to want to get into series because I just spilled my tea like splash I don't know if you saw that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, why it's easier for authors to like maybe tackle a series which sounds counterintuitive is because there is a it's not whole until it's done you know and there's like a beginning to a series a middle of a series and the end yeah. of a series and yeah. that's when you can kind of judge a story is when that last book is in if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, it's not to say that I don't like writing series. I think there's huge value to it. Um, Cause I kind of relate them to, I guess like concept albums where it's like, you have to listen to the whole, you know, you can, mm. you can listen to individual songs in the album and they're, you know, they're kind of good on their own. But if you listen to the album as a whole, you get the bigger picture and you're like, Oh, okay. Now I, now I get this. I understand where the, the music is going or where the, the writer is going with this. Um, so definitely I think series can, can have that same, um, kind of feel to them and it's not complete until it's actually complete. Um, I guess part of it is, is, you know, the, the books that have 10, you know, there's 10 books in the series or even they're still writing, um, books in the series. For me, I do have other ideas and I do have other, um, novels that I want to write and, I can only really work on one novel at a time um, with one set of characters. If I try and, and write another book simultaneously, it's just, it's not going to work for me. Um, so I do want that change. So having a, a, you know, a final moment in the series is more, is really important to me. Yeah. Um, uh, and I guess that's just the way I write or the way I work. Um, again, not to say anything's wrong with, those, yeah, you know. continuing and going on. But I think that it's it's nice too, because four books, that's a lot of meat for a reader to dive into. Yeah. And that's a very like, ah, when you get to the end of that, you're going to feel, well, hopefully quite satisfied, right? But because it was it was a big sizable chunk. But right. yeah, no, I mean, I think you got to go where the muse calls you. And there are other shores. And some authors, they find that one series and they're like, this is the playground for me. This is where I'm going to spend the rest of my days. But I think others, there's a lot of playgrounds, you know? Yeah, which exactly is exactly how I, I feel about it. Um, and again, it, like with this one too, there is a natural ending to it. So it's it's the um, finish finish while it's still good. Don't have that seventh season if it's mm, yeah. <laughs> the 11th season, just because you can have, an, you know, just, just end it when it naturally ends. And uh yeah, that's how I feel with with my books. That's cool. So yeah. how did how did you get into writing? Tell me a bit about your creative journey. Like when you were a kid, did you want to be a writer? Like how did this come about? Well, I, like I always remember writing. I you know I was the the kid who had a diary. Not that any of the entries were like any good, other than like <laughs> my sister was mean. You know that kind of thing. Right. Um, and. I guess my first real memory uh, was in, I think it was grade three. We had to write a, um, we had to write a short story and we got to actually turn it into kind of a published book. So we got to like type it out and um, we got to draw pictures for it. And then it was actually like bound and you made, you can make the cover and then the back and and a dedication and just the whole, um, just a book. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that was just so incredibly cool and neat to do. Uh, I don't think it registered then that like that could be an actual job that you could do. Right. Uh, 
writing. Um, and my story was also completely um, copied. It was basically the line, the witch in the wardrobe, just <laughs> a circus but there, and, and like a bear instead of a lion. Um, <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, total plagiarism, but um, it definitely, um, it was a, de- it was a very imaginative story. And I remember the teacher kind of reacting in a way that was really positive and, in in um, and, and encouraging. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when my mom went for the parent teacher night, my teacher was the one who said, has she ever considered being a writer? Um, and so my mom kind of always kept bringing that up, I guess, over the huh. years. Um, and so I always, it's always at the back of my mind, but, um, I really wanted to be a singer and a classically trained singer. So, um, I would write in secret and never show anybody mm. anything. Um, and then I went to, uh, to university for music. Uh, I got that degree and then realized that, uh, the, um, maybe it wasn't for me, the, the performing world, um, which I guess is an expensive lesson to learn when you, uh, I suppose. but at the same time, it, it, it still, uh, taught me, you know, a lot of things. It's, it's a good experience to have. Um, and so after university, there was a lot of, I have no idea what to do with my life. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Sounds and familiar. I, yeah. And I, so I basically went, found some continuing education, creative writing courses um, and signed up and then started writing short stories and got a lot of encouragement there. Um, and in fact, in one of my first courses, I submitted one of those stories and it got published. Oh man. So then, you know, <laughs> you kind of get those like, um, bites of interest and it really encourages you when um your writings getting accepted and and published so yeah um and then from there it was kind of like well I actually really love doing this um which again different from the singing there wasn't that same kind of I have to do this mm. uh, it was more of like I'm, I'm good at it and I um I it's not that it's easy but it comes naturally to me Um, whereas with writing, it's, it's more like, I have, I have to do it. I have to get these ideas out. Um, and so I, I basically switched to writing and have been doing it ever since. That's very interesting to me. That's really cool because, um, we've got kind of similar backstories. I do rap music and that kind of, for me, music was the easy thing. It was the thing that just always, like I could do it. But then I wanted to be a writer, actually, as a kid. So it was kind of opposite. I wanted to be a writer. Everyone told me to be a, a musician or a singer-songwriter or something like that. Little did they know I would do rap. They wouldn't have encouraged it then. <laughs> but, oh, you do the piano. No, I'm, I'm a rapper. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, that was weird. But, but having that, the kind of love between these two uh, mediums has been really interesting for me to navigate. And I've been going through a lot of growth recently in that department where, I mean, I went to university, uh, for psychology, but it was effectively to become a better writer. I, yeah. I thought a psychology degree would be more useful in me being a writer than an English degree. Oddly. I thought it this, makes, me though, that makes complete sense. Like yeah. I, because 
So with the music degree, when you're being constantly judged on the thing that you do, that you think you do well, yeah. and you're getting actual marks for it, it's it can be a little disheartening, mm. um, especially if you just end up with a professor or a teacher who just does not like what you do. And mm. there's nothing you can do to change their mind. And then you're getting grades that are, you know, how you, it affects how you feel about about the music or the writing. So the fact that you did a psychology degree, I think. Oh yeah. <laughs> like, because there's no, it doesn't kill your love of writing, but psychology is absolutely like critical in, in writing. Cause it's how people think. And yeah. So interesting story about that though. I did it for two years and then I dropped out. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, okay, I, yeah. Well, I studied it for two years and then I thought, well, maybe I ought to sw switch to English. Maybe. Because I was kind of feeling, spinning my wheels. I did very well at university, actually, but then I, I stopped caring about it because I just wanted to write. Yeah. And music was like a fledgling thing. It was like, I could always do music. Like, maybe that's arrogance on my part, but it just always came naturally. I could do it. I liked it. But I didn't want it to be my job. You know, I wanted to, I wanted writing to be my employment at that time. So then I went to university Well, we moved to Edmonton from BC and I switched universities. I enrolled in a few English courses. I got married and then I promptly, very promptly dropped out because I, I realized maybe it's not true for every class out there, but it was a very expensive book club. <laughs> it was that that's what it was you know what i don't it was an expensive ass book club where they would yeah like here can you spend a hundred dollars to buy this thing that you can get at chapters for 20 bucks yeah and then read it and let's talk about it and i can do that myself i could do it with friends um i think I love that. like that's it's yeah. accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if I had pursued more, I did some creative writing courses. I did a couple of them, but maybe if I pursued that much more intensely, I would have got more use out of it. But yeah, I just, I thought at that point I'll, I'll get a Joe job and do what I love on the side and I'll moonlight. And that started to feel like a bad decision eventually, but that's, um, that's my story. I, I think that it's cool that you kind of have, you're multi-talented you have many things that you can do and that you're good at, but writing is the one that continues to call you. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I get that sense from, from you as well. It's just that, uh, you know, it's the thing that I always did in secret. I just never really finished anything. And I mean, when I was, well, I forget how old I wrote a script for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, really? I like, up on a typewriter and I like I sent them a letter being like I'm a huge fan um I like this was the ballsiest thing I ever did and it was like when I was 15 and they actually wrote a response being like you know you're not on the writers like you're not in the writers guild so we can't accept any of your scripts oh um, but one of the episodes is very close to what my what? pitch is yeah yeah I'm not saying, please don't sue me, Buffy the Vampire Slayer people. <laughs> and so, like, I always hold that as, like, a, like, more of a, well, that's really cool. Like, if I was 15 and I had an idea and one of the episodes is, like, very, you know, very similar. Is it, was it an idea that 
would have been hard to come by? Like, do you feel like, do you That's feel- a good question too. Um, maybe. My, my wife has seen all the episodes. My wife loves Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Me, I got into Angel. Okay. Angel, yeah. Angel was my introduction. And I was like, oh, who's this Buffy chick? And why is he yeah. pining away at her? But my wife is the opposite. It was Buffy. So like, if you said what the episode was, maybe you don't want to, but if, if you did- <laughs> She would like know it. She would listen to this and she would be like, oh, interesting. Yeah, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you afterwards. So, okay. Again, Fair I, enough. Don't, I, I don't want to be sued for claiming because <laughs> it's, it's more, again, it's more the idea that it's like the idea, like your, my ideas are good. So just keep working at the writing and eventually, you yeah. know. Yeah. I, well, that's I, very validating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this, my script was horrible. The episode is like <laughs> right. way better. And like, funnily enough, I still have the script. I still have it. And one of the lines, it's so embarrassing. She, Buffy says, I'm pooped. Like, I'm tired. I don't know why she would say I'm pooped. But <laughs> <laughs> like, she would yeah. never say that. Um, but on the typewriter, I misspelled it. So it basically says, it says, I pooped. Like, <laughs> that's what I send in. So, I mean, you know, just to fly mildly. (laughs) No, thanks. But I remember that uh, episode where she just, (laughs) that's very funny. Yeah. Cause I definitely proofread it. It definitely wasn't long (laughs) enough, but again, the core of the idea. Yeah. I'm like that that's there. So, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that story. It's funny. It's hilarious. But, (laughs) I wonder, like time frame, like from when you sent it, sent it in, when the the episode came out in the series. It's like a later season, it is a later season. So it is episode. later. It was uh, several years after. So again, someone else could have come up with the idea. It could have been in the slosh pile. Like they could have. Yeah, they, they could one have of the writers, yeah, or someone could have been like, "Oh, this is kind of a cool idea. Like, let's uh, let's bank that one." And they got yeah. a, they got a hat, and when they're sitting there, they're like, you know, what's Buffy gonna do this week? We, we need an idea here it is um and so then again I, I i it's flattering if if that's what happened um but it gave you hope regardless of whether it did yeah. right yeah but that's that's sort of the like i i had to write it i had to try i had to you know and and that sort of thing i mean i think i've lost some of the the ballsiness and i often refer back to that story to be like you did that when you were 15 why you know like mm. just keep keep going keep trying um but it's it's i am compelled to write and i am compelled to try and share it and hope people will like what it is that i do um and then eventually someone picks it up out of the slush pile and is like oh <laughs> this is a good idea here we go so uh, yeah i imagine it's it's similar maybe you don't have as as uh you know you didn't submit a script to buffy but Right. Well, I wrote I wrote a fan fiction actually for Twilight, and <laughs> it was it. I was not expecting to say Twilight. But. Yeah. Well, it was it was just erotica, right? And uh, it was so successful that I actually had to change it so that okay. it, that it was. Sorry, I'm actually giving you the backstory to Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> <I, laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, you know, it worked for her. So. Yeah, it worked. Worked for her. She had a Twilight. Fan fiction, and hey, I, I don't downplay fan fiction, but uh, I haven't. I attempted a bit of fan fiction. I have some behind me, these Stargate books. 
Okay. Like uh, a matter of honor. Like these are, I think there was 13 of them. I'm missing two of them. And I was super into Stargate SG-1. I've got these. Um, it was, that was my show. Like if Buffy was your show, Stargate was mine. And I remember reading one of these, but I was a young adult at this point, And I was thinking, someone wrote this. I could do that. Like I, and I actually, I started a story. Um, but then I think I, I gave up on that project and I had other stories that I wanted to tell. So I didn't put too much stock into it. Um, but I mean, fan fiction wise, I, I've done some music stuff that is kind of fan fiction. Like I did my battle angel thing, which like I re yeah, I retold a film through the perspective of the care, the main character's eyes. And that was kind of interesting. I love film. I love, I get really inspired by film. Do you, you must. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I'd love to, uh, again, aside from my Buffy the Vampire script, I have not really tackled <laughs> any other, uh, scripts, but I would, I would love to, because I think like, it's just, it's visual storytelling and there's a lot of great TV and movies, um, and things out there. And I actually find it really interesting that you, I mean, your, your rapping is a form of storytelling and you use other mediums to tell a story or tell a story in a different way. Um, and I, I, I get, I find it fascinating cause I don't, I wouldn't be able to do that. Like I, mm. I, I, even though I have the music background, I'm not able to write anything near what you write and tell a story in the way that you do, um, through music. So I think that's pretty incredible. And, well, thanks. um, I sort of veered away from the question, but, uh, <laughs> it's a unique way of using writing. And, um, and if you're really into film and you want to, I guess, honor that film or, um, again, tell a story in your own way, it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's amazing to me how, we, we have more mediums of like different ways to take the drug of story and yeah. more so now, but there was, there was kind of replicant ways in, you know, older times, like people have been doing plays for a long time. And I mean, how ridiculous is the idea of a play? If you think about it, like at what point was society, they were like, you know what? I just want to pretend to be this person. And uh, I'm going to get someone else to pretend and you're going to enjoy the drama. It's a very cool thing. And that, you know, there's play. So it's a visual medium. And then there's props and there's, you know, setting. Like where are they telling the play? Like the amphitheaters. There's so many cool ways that people would engage with things visually. But now film has, you know, it's auditory. Like there's music. It's very encompassing. I think that film is probably the most immediate and uh, urgent form of creativity because you can't help but partake in it. It fills your senses. Yeah. But, you know, I think novel or, or reading, the written word, I think is much more immersive because it is, you can get so much more out of a novel than you can a book. Like it's so much bigger, so much more encompassing. You can understand from the eyes of a character in a way that you never can in film right. yeah and, and then yeah sorry and i was just gonna say it's the if i read a book before i see the movie i'm i'm i 
I'm never going to enjoy it because it's never <laughs> going to be what I've seen in my head. Yeah. Uh, not going to be the same experience. Um, so if I go into that movie, I literally have to be like, Hey, Crystal, like be cool. Like, it's not going to be the same. There's going to be some differences. Like you just gotta, um, cause otherwise I won't enjoy it. Cause I'm expecting a certain scene that I really loved. Um, and quite often that gets, that's that the gets, one that gets cut. I know I watched, uh, uh, the Martian. You ever see that one? Yes. I haven't read the book though. Yeah. So you so probably, yeah, you like the movie, right? Like it's probably fine. But because I read the book and then I watched the movie, the movie was like, eh, meh to me in comparison. Yeah, yeah. But there was like a specific line of dialogue in one scene in the book that was so freaking good. And they had that same scene in the movie and they're going through it and the characters and they're, you know, they're kind of doing it in their own way. And I'm waiting for this line because it's like, I think it's like when one character tells the other to like fuck off or something. It's like, it's a big thing and I'm waiting for it. And they cut before that were, were to have happened. And I'm like, in the book, it was more, <laughs> it was better. And so like, that's one of the few times where I was like, what the hell? Like, I'm so robbed of this experience. But, were you in the theater at the time or? Theater, yeah. Okay, yeah. Because, you know, you're in a theater, you can't really have the reaction. Like, I will literally yell at the TV if I'm at home. <laughs> it's like this, like, what is this? This is garbage. Well, no, it's not garbage, but <laughs> <laughs> like... Like I, I really wanted this scene and um, I think it also comes to like being a kid and every, every summer, like my parents weren't big on watching TV or going to see movies. So it was go and read a book. So I would read so many books and develop that, you know, like mental mm -hmm. uh, image and the immersive reading and like losing yourself in a book and, um, and it's it's the thing that's stuck with me. So it's like if, if I read the book and then watch the movie, I usually have to wait some time in between. It's just I, I can't uh, – I don't agree with a lot of their stylistic yeah. changes. Well, and, what's uh, interesting, I think, is that film has also influenced us as readers because we, you know, us, us humble readers, we see a lot of film and we get a real sense of, like, cinematography – of what's beautiful. Like we, we, as reading a book, I think our experience of film can inform our imagination of how to interpret the words. And if you think about like a, uh, you know, a screenplay writer such as yourself, you know, like, yeah, well, like a director, right? Like someone who's reading screenplays, they're reading words, they're reading a form of literature like a movie because their imagination is taking it yeah. to that cinem cinematic level. And they're like, oh, yes, you know, and Leo can, Leonardo DiCaprio could come in and he could take his shirt off and it's like they could visualize that. And, but the words are what cue them to visualize it. So in, in these were, these things kind of depend on each other. Like writing is the key ingredient for good film. You can't yeah. like name a single good movie that has bad writing. Like writing is integral to everything. Maybe you can. Yeah. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> um, not on the top of my head, but I think I think too. Like the script writing is very different as well because it's stripped of description. It's very bare bones because it is up to the director to have that yeah. vision. Well, there are there are most the 
the writer as well, because they have to, when they're reading this bare bone and it, I'm sure it's not bare bones to them, but in, in, if I were to read the script, it's this bare bones piece of paper with, with mostly dialogue on it and maybe a few cues yeah. and they have to come up with this whole world that you have to see, um, that you have to see visually. And like you said, character point of view is so different and what you show is so different um, that a good film in, in my opinion, like, you know, yeah, it has to have good writing, but, but then that visual element has to be there mm-hmm. as well. Like the cinematography. Yeah. It's whereas, a, well, it's yeah, so, it, so many it, more it, forms of art, right? Like you get costume designers, yeah. you get everybody coming together, like right. lighting techs. Like there's so many people involved in film to make that look beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, whereas a writer is just, it's, it's all you. And it's just, it's on a page. And then there is some element of le- allowing the reader to build yeah. things in mind as well. Um, and then a mark of a good writer as well is that that factor of of keeping someone immersed while they're reading words, um, which is sometimes more difficult than if you're being, you know, when you see something, you, you're not really looking away from it as yeah. easily as you could with a book because you can just... Kind yeah, of put it down. a film can slap you in a face in a way, right? Like it can it can have a shocking sound and stuff. So, like you could be watching a movie and go like, "Oh," and like a book can slap you in the face, but usually it's your wife who throws it at you. You know what I mean? <laughs> you no, know, let's say right. like you you got to give some patience to a book. But speaking of you know thing script screenwriting being bare bones, the story mm-hmm. that you wrote for the podcast today is called The Bone Setter, right? Yes, yes. That's that's my current working. The Bone working. Setter. I thought yeah. that was a very, very cool title. Um, I think we, it is a title of a movie, though. Is it? But, oh, well, you have to change it now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no good now, apparently. But yeah, yeah. Well, I think mine's also got the title of a movie. Of a kid's TV show, which is very misleading. Yes. <laughs> yeah, in my case. <laughs> uh, like so... I want you to read this story, but first we got to tell about the prompt. So I know in the introduction, I've already told everybody kind of what's going on, that there was a prompt that we share and you and I both wrote to it and we're both going to read our stories and kind of talk about our process. But I I really enjoyed just kind of getting to know a bit of your perspective, getting to know you a little bit. And first, before people just jump into your work, kind of gives them a little bit more of the mind behind it. So so, I hope I filled in the gaps. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to do great. Um, so what was our prompt? Do you have it handy? Um, let me casually. Just... I, think, I think I can say it. I think it's. No, I can't. <laughs> I, got it. I got it. You got it. Me... Um, okay. Whoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or a God. You're right. Um, isn't it whosoever? I'm reading it off your email, so. <laughs> Don't. That's oh, I mean, so yes. I typed that in wrong. So say it one more time, nice and slow. <clears throat> oh, no, you did write whosoever. Sorry. That's my- <laughs> it was me. <laughs> okay. okay. Let's start from Mark 1. Okay. Whosoever is delighted in solitude is either a wild beast or a god. Yes. 
And we came to that because we were we were on talking on the phone and we were I was looking through some bad poetry trying to come up with something. We settled on the word wild at some point. We liked wild. Googled wild and quotes and then you uh Yeah. Yeah. And this was a quote from Francis Francis Bacon? But originally from Aristotle, which I Oh really like a nerd after our phone call. This is an Aristotle quote. Yeah, it's it's Aristotle, and then he uh, Francis Bacon uh, expanded on it in in mm. one of his essays. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, that is, that was our inspiration, and um, not only was it us, but we actually had low key writers group. So there's actually yeah. five, possibly six, if Garrett gets his story in the next couple of days. Writers that that we've done this, and we're giving each other more critical feedback on the side. But today. Yeah. We're, we're going to get into yours. So awesome. whenever you're ready to read it. Okay. I will do that. Hold on. Hopefully I won't misread words like I just did because anywho. Okay. So again, this is called the bone setter. The bone setter adjusted his sack of tools over his shoulder before he stepped from the solitude of his wood and into the village. The call that had set his head on fire that he could no longer ignore pointed him eastward. He allowed himself a single steadying breath before heading in its direction. The village was full of noise and dust, but the early morning sun made it difficult to see who crossed his path. Too loud, he thought, squinting against the glare, too bright. With his free hand, he pulled the edges of his cloak tight against his chest. He lowered his head, hefted his sack a little higher over his shoulder and continued east. When the bone setter reached a cottage at the very edge of the village, The call vibrated frantically, ringing like a bell only he could hear. Do not save this one. Death's grating voice didn't surprise the bone setter. He had been expecting to hear from his rival the moment the call startled him awake. I need to see the patient before I decide, the bone setter replied. You can't save them all. Death's voice came from somewhere over the bone setter's shoulder now. He didn't bother turning around. He knew he wouldn't even catch a glimpse of the grim reaper. He never did. I can try, the bone setter replied. The cottage door swung open and jolted the breath from the bone setter's lungs. A woman rushed toward him, concern etched in every line of her face, but her worry wasn't what set him on edge. The woman seemed familiar, but the bone setter couldn't figure out how or why. When the woman reached him, he wanted more than anything to tuck a stray strand of her golden chestnut hair behind her ear. His fingers tightened around his sack of tools and his cloak. I don't know her, he thought, more than a little alarmed. But you do, Death whispered into his ear. You came, the woman said, stealing his attention. I didn't think you would. The bone setter wanted to gather her up and breathe her in because it would help to wash away the stench of blood and fear and death. What is this? I can't. He can barely form a coherent thought. Before he could figure out why, the sharp pain in his head returned, screaming like a banshee in search of vengeance. Where, he asked the woman. The word came out like a rasp bark. He pretended not to see her flinch. Inside, she told him, and turned to lead him toward the cottage. The bone setter stared after her. He felt compelled to apologize, but wasn't sure what he wanted to apologize for. The woman made him want to slink back to the safety of his wood, and because the urge was so strong, the bone setter had to focus on why he had come. To answer the call, he thought. Go back, Death said. His words crawled across the back of the bone setter's neck. Leave this one to me. 
The bone setter ignored him, but couldn't stop the doubt from seeping into his resolve. As the woman and bone setter neared the cottage, a young girl peered out at them from behind the open door. Thin as a reed, she stared at him with wide eyes that seemed much too big for her face. He found the sight of her oddly familiar, much like the woman. Are you the man of the seventh hour? The girl called out. She didn't wait for him to answer before more words tumbled from her mouth. The butcher's boy says that you're going to heal my father. He also says you'll put me in your sack, steal me away, and... The woman deftly stepped out in front of her child. Out of the way, Kara, she said. The bone setter caught the shiver of fear in her voice. She turned to address him. You'll find Liam through there. The woman gestured to the back of the house with her chin. It was a boar that's done it. The thick, rancid stench of decaying flesh begged for the bone setter's attention. He stepped into the cottage, past the woman and child, and followed the sickly sweet scent into the bedroom. A fire burned in the hearth near the door. The bright light reached the bed that had been placed on the other side of the room. There, the bone setter saw, him, saw a man, Liam, on his back with a bloody sheet laid out across his stomach and thighs. The bone setter moved forward, careful to keep his footfalls quiet and soft. Do not be afraid, he said as he approached the bed. He knew his voice sounded anything but soothing. I'm going to examine your wounds. Close enough now, the bone setter waited for a response. When none came, he gently peeled back the sheet. The wild animal had torn through Liam's flesh from thigh to gut. Without touching him, the bone setter assessed the cracked and exposed femur and the sausage-shaped innards that spilled from the inside out onto the mattress. You would do well to walk away, Death told him, his breath toying with the string that secured the bone setter's sack of tools. It told her not to call you. Liam's voice surprised the bone setter. He sounded strong, a good omen to be sure. He fights to live, the bone setter thought, and needed no more encouragement. Death would not take this man's soul, not when it could be saved. You called me, the bone setter said aloud to Liam. I'm sorry for wasting your time, Liam replied. He exhaled a sharp sound that pierced the air like the crack of an ax against a tree. He does not wish to be saved, Death snapped. Let me be the judge, the bone setter thought, chiding Death as firmly as he dared. He turned his face toward the door. I will need a chair, he called out. A moment later, Kara appeared with a short stool. Her gaze darted around the room and landed on everything except her father. The bone setter pointed at a spot on the floor beside the mattress. He lowered his sack and waited for her to set the stool down. Her wide-eyed gaze landed on him. Can you fix him, she whispered. Once again, the bone setter felt doubt poke at him like the repeated jab of a surgeon's needle. See, you know I'm right. Death laughed and the weight of it threw the bone setter off balance. He dropped his sack of tools to the floor and collapsed onto the stool. I'm obligated to try, he said, although he didn't know if he meant the words for the words to soothe Kara or whether he needed to hear them himself. This one will chip away at what little humanity you have left. Death's voice felt like the sting of thousands of knives running down the bone setter's back. Save yourself the anguish, give him to me. Liam interrupted any response the bone setter might have had by wrapping his fingers around his arm. Tell her, tell her I'm... Liam trailed off, leaving the sentence to hang in the air between them. Ignoring his sack of tools, the bone setter knew of no earthly instrument that could save Liam now. He quickly laid both hands on Liam's body, one over the exposed and broken thigh bone, the other over the gaping wound on his side. The bone setter closed his eyes, focused on the call, and found Liam's pain. It hit the bone setter with the force of a winter's gale. 
the bone setter toppled into its depths. His muscles clenched, bracing for the moment of impact. It never arrived. Instead, death grabbed the bone setter by the collar and jerked him sideways. He opened his eyes to find himself at the edge of the village in a clearing near the wood he called home. Liam and the wood woman stood in front of him and the bone setter knew he stood within his patient's memory, Liam's memory. In a moment of blinding clarity, he knew he did not want to see it unfold. Too late, take the pain, take his memory. It's how your gift works, is it not? Death's voice bulldozed through the bone setter's mind, the price he had to pay for his stubborn pride. The bone setter wanted to look away, but knew he couldn't argue with death, not this time. If he didn't accept the precious memory, he wouldn't be able to mend bone or muscle nor repair shredded flesh. Liam would surely die and death, a finicky deity at the best of times, would seek retribution for the bone setter's defiance. The bone setter stood with his feet braced against the ground and grudgingly accepted Liam's memory. I have a child to consider, the woman said. Surely you understand. I would treat her as my own, Liam told her. I would never send her away. The woman lifted her chin and crossed her arms over her chest. But the girl is his, she said. Liam stepped forward. Are you, he asked, his voice quiet. The woman doesn't move. No, she finally replied. His work has changed him. He can no longer bear to live in the village. He's, he's given Kara and me up. Don't you wanna be happy, Liam asked. The bone setter watched the woman as she looked at Liam. His hands curled into fists at the unbridled love in her eyes. He remembered, and doing so only broke his heart as he had imagined had happened countless times before. He knows the woman because he's the one who's given the woman up. I warned you. Death's searing kiss sent the bone setter reeling away from Liam's memory and back to his bedside. You did it, Kara's hush. You did it. Kara's hushed voice sounded like a reverent prayer in the bone setter's ear. He blinked and lifted his hands. Although his flesh is bright red, Liam's wounds have completely healed. Liam's memory, however, sits like bile in the back of the bone setter's throat. He feels a sharp pain in his side. His thigh bone creaked as he shifted his weight on the stool. He wanted nothing more than to hide like a dog that needed to lick its wounds. Mama, it's all right, Kara shouted, her hands still on the bone setter's shoulders. He cannot bear to look at the woman, not now, and so he stumbled to his feet and focused on staying there as she entered the room. He watched her fall to her knees at Liam's side and the memory he's taken swirls around in his head like a whirlpool. The woman gasped and turned to look at the bone setter with tear-filled eyes. Thank you, she said. She reached for his hand. I, the bone setter steps away from her. He swallowed hard as the memory faded and disappeared forever. Listen well, bone setter. Death's voice is gentle, even as it is cruel. Even gods must pay a price. With shaking hands, the bone setter nodded at the woman and wondered why she and her child seemed so familiar. He grabbed his sack from where he had dropped it on the floor. He left his patient's bedside and stepped out of the cottage. Hefting his sack of tools over his shoulder, the bone setter ducked his head, pulled his cloak in tight, and returned to the solitude of his wood. Ah, oh, so good. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I love I loved hearing you read it too. Um, it's so well paced. It's so well paced. Like, and you can tell even just as you're reading it. It's sort of like um, when people are reading a story. Sometimes they're actually reading it with like their internal. 
voice is much the same as their external voice. They just don't realize that. And so like for you to, I don't know, I don't know what the hell I'm saying there, but it's just like the pacing's great. The pacing. No, and I mean, you, meant, you mentioned this during a call where you and Garrett, when you were writing it, writing your, your stories, knowing that you're going to read it out loud definitely changes how you write the story as well. Mm-hmm. I think because, um, I mean, even still, there's a few sentences where I'm like, oh man, I should have, like, I should have changed that. But at the same time, it really helped to influence the story and then help with better pacing because you're, you're hearing it um, and, and then seeing it a little bit better than when it's just on the page and you're, you're just yeah. reading it. And I already know what I'm trying to say, but hearing the words out loud helps to define in more detail, hopefully for those listening, what I'm trying to convey. Yeah, I 100% agree. In fact, I, I recommend as a practice for all writers, they should read aloud what, what they've written because yeah. as, as part of the edit is because you're going to go through and you're going to catch all sorts of things that you didn't catch because you're, you know, yeah. Sorry, say that again. No, I just said, absolutely. I'm in the hundred percent agreement. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. So first of all, I found it to be very sad. I found, I felt quite sad for the bone setter. Um, yeah. He, I caught more on this second, because this is my second time with the story, because I read it once and then listening to you again, I picked up some more from the second in terms of foreshadowing that okay. his, his memory issue basically, or that there's going to be these exchanges of memory. Like the fact that he felt like apologizing as soon as he sees her. At first I was kind of like, whatever, like I, I guess I, that happens, but, but now it makes so much more sense, right? Like it's an interesting idea to have him be robbed of memories and to come in and have the residual feeling still there. And then he doesn't know why. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's a little like eternal sunshine of the, what is it? Eternal sunshine of the spotless, spotless mind. mind. Yeah. With Jim Carrey. That's right. Which I, I wasn't my intention, but um, after it was finished, I was like, Oh, Oh yeah, this is, this really happens in, in, uh, in the movie. Um, although there's no sort of like, fantastical oh yeah it's a very very different it's like sci-fi the way that they yeah. eliminate these yeah. memories or whatever so you can move on with your life but um in this yeah like you you very clearly do lay out the rules of like what's the cost and so the way i'm picturing it the bone setter is he's like a minion but he's he's like a god but he's like a very he's not death like he's subservient to death. It seems yeah. like he's very much like um, he's the Grim Reapers. He kind of works. He works in opposition. So he has his own domain, and he follows the call. So he's like he's a lesser god, is the way I would describe it. He seems like he's, you know, god god or you know one of the bigger ones. The call or something is is what drives him forward, and he has a bit of wiggle room that he can be like piss off death. I'm I got to work here, right? But ultimately. What's interesting is that death is trying to spare him a little bit. Death has got a soft spot for his little minion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like, uh, I like complex relationships between, (laughs) I mean, you can have a relationship with death. It's going to be, it's going to be complex. Um, And 
so yeah definitely there's there's that like love-hate relationship but he's yeah definitely uh i guess a minion if you want to call him that of of death yeah like sure. like a lesser god i guess like a lesser being but what's interesting is that it seems to indicate to me that he would have been like maybe mortal or something like there was something about him yes he he is so interestingly enough with my with my drafts like this is this is just a clear indication of how I write where this is a very sparse draft like there's so much more that I wanted mm. to add and so much more to the the story um but I don't think you wanted a novel like that's not what you <laughs> right yeah we had a word count we were aiming for yeah yeah, yeah. So I was trying to I'm like do you know, and that that's also part of the competition to me. It's like, okay, two thousand words, I can I can nail this. <laughs> you were very you were nineteen hundred and fifty, right? I know, I was good. <laughs> um so so yeah, definitely the, the bone setter um is is mortal, but as he's you know, uh working with his power and gaining confidence with his power, um, the line kind of blurs between, you know, where where does he live? He lives in the woods because he can't yeah. live with yeah, so, and he left the people, and he left her. Um, it was interesting to me the way you started the story. Um, I thought quite, quite masterfully, like you raise a question. Um, see, people have a bit of a miss. Uh, what's the word? Like sometimes there, there's like a cult out there in terms of your first sentence, where people feel like your first sentence has to be so riddled with conflict, it's just bursting off the page. But in reality, you got the first few sentences. You have a you have a few to kind of indicate there's something up, right? right. Because I would, yeah, I find well, and then especially in in I guess you know a first draft, I often will go back and tackle that first first sentence again hmm. um, and try and make it more um, compelling. So I'm actually really happy that you said that you know, the, the, you, you like the beginning because it's often the, the one thing that I have the most trouble with oh, really? is the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So I will often leave it and, um, I guess get feedback on it. And most <laughs> people like, sometimes it's, it's hit or miss, right? It's, it's, um, I just, I find starting stories very difficult and typically the rest kind of like falls into place, but I, the number of edits that happen at the beginning of something are so much more substantial than, mm. than towards the end or even the middle. Yeah. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but are you a bit of a discovery writer, like a bit of a pantser? Yes. I'm a weird combination of both. I do have to outline. So for this, for this story in particular, I basically went on a walk, um, uh, the character of the bone setter I've had in my mind for a while. Um, I had watched one of Brandon Sanderson's uh, oh, episodes. Yeah. Where he's like, Oh, basically when you, you just mash together a bunch of ideas. So I was like, okay, what ideas do I already have that I can like mash together and make this work? Um, and then basically like have a bunch of like outlined points and then I'll start writing. But then as I'm writing, obviously like certain things won't work. Um, I have to look at word count. Um, so for example, I wanted his, his, uh, his daughter to also have his power. Um, oh, that's a whole and, subplot. Yeah. Yeah. So like I wanted, I wanted some of that in there. Um, but then again, uh, you know, we only have so much time. Um, <laughs> so may, mayhaps a draft too. Um, 
So I try not to let the outline dictate how the story turns out. It's more of a jumping off point for me. Yeah. Um, because, and then when I'm writing, I can feel that it's not working. I can feel that it's not, um, uh, I don't know if that's a good way to describe it. Like no, it's just, well, it's like you had an idea of like, when I get, when I get into these, this wood, when I get into this forest, this is what it's going to look like. But then you are discovering that you get there and you're like, Oh, I was kind of right about this. It's kind of right about that. What's up with that mushroom? You know, like <laughs> there are surprises for you still, but you still kind of are in a similar territory. So I would say that's kind of an interesting combination. And I do think ultimately everybody is a slight combination because even like a pure pants or someone like JH, where she yeah. like bullies her way, like she gets yeah. into it and her characters like tell her what's going on and she like follows the muse major. She yeah. still is going to get to the end of that draft and she's probably going to perk it up in little spots and there's going to be a bit of edits and she's going to have thoughts of, Oh, I, I got to tweak this. And so that's kind of like outlining after like, Oh, I'm going to fix some things after. Yeah. I th and I think process is so individual to every, um, every author. Cause, cause when, you know, you, you mentioned her process, the thought of trying to write something out without having, um, I guess my beginning, middle and end, uh, I would just end up with a disaster. You would not have a story in two weeks. Interesting, it, yeah. Like, my wandering is just, I can't, I, I, I don't have any bones. Like there's no bones for the muscle and the, everything to hang on onto. Um, so I've kind of just developed this thing where it's like, okay, have your beginning, middle and end. Those things typically are just very visually strong for me. And because really it's a lot about connecting the dots between those pieces. Yeah. And, that's not clear. You can pants your way around, yeah. around that. Um, so it's, 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 it is interesting to try and put your process in, into. Yeah. It's tough because um, you basically just kind of do it and you do it again and again and again. Like you've yeah. written so many times that there is an element of mystery into how this is all coming together, but you also kind of know this is the best way to get my butt in the chair. I got to go for a walk. I got to think about this and you have a bit of process. And I'm, I feel like we're on a discovery of our process, much of us for most of our writing life. And I, I think, agree, yeah. yeah, very few writers are like, this is what I do and this is how I do it. And these are the people who we don't like, we don't like those people. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, like it, I think it's just, it's such a different way of thinking because I do know there's some authors out there who offer, you know, um, this is how I outline and I do this every, like it's, it's, it's a super outline. Um, yeah. Even Brandon Sanderson in the way yeah. that some of his description for, so for those who don't know, Brandon Sanderson's very popular fantasy writer who's writing I've never read. But oh, really? oh, I know everybody tells me I got to read it, but his, yeah, yeah. he's a very good teacher as well. And he's got some excellent resources. And I think for, uh, myself, Crystal and our mutual friend Garrett and whatnot, I think we've all been diving into some of his lectures and he's got some really good stuff there. So when he talks about his outlining process, sometimes it sounds like too rigid to me. It's like, you've got to do all this world building and, but that's his yeah that's his playground um, that's how he does process. it it works for him i think if you're a novice writer the idea is to be very flexible um because i do remember 
trying to, you know, if Brandon Sanderson is doing this, mm. oh my God, I got it. Like he knows what he's talking about. Um, but I often find too much outlining. I then don't want to write the story because. Yeah. You already... loses it. And for me, yeah. I am, I am very strongly like that. I am a pantser. I am someone who just writes by the seat of my pants. And I often, in fact, most of the time with a short story, I have no idea what's going to happen till my butt is in the chair and it just starts happening. Yeah. But those few paragraphs is a kind of crafting for me, like where I'm like, oh, this is where I'm going to diverge. And, but we'll talk about my process later. Yeah, I want to point out. a follow-up question, but it's okay. Well, I'll ask it later. Okay, sure. I want to point out a few other things I liked about this story. Um, so the beginning was really good, like, because... The first sentence isn't actually like riddled with conflict, but it does raise a question a little bit like, okay, uh, he adjusts. So it's just like, who's the bone setter? And he's adjusting his tools and he's stepping out of the solitude of his wood and going into the village. So this little question there is, well, why is he going to the village, right? So it's a little bit of a lead in, but the next one is the call. It's literally, it's the call. So the call that has set his head on fire that he could no longer ignore pointed him eastward. And so we're like, okay, what? <laughs> what is this thing in his head? Um, what's pointing him eastward? And then he he has like this steady breath, like, like he sighs basically, and then he heads toward it. So it's like, there's the conflict. He has a call. He's like, all right, time's come. I've got to do it. But you're like, what's the bone setter going on this call? Um, it's not explosive. But it raises a question, and that is a very good way to start a story. And yeah, and I think it, it kind of this is a good example of something iconoclastic to the cult of you got to have this powerful first sentence that just blows up, man. You know, it's just something. That's a good voice. You should just thanks. Your story. This voice, <laughs> the voice that I'm talking with now, is actually my pretend voice. That's really how I sound. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I just <laughs> I phased it out over time. Um, I'm going to point out a few lines that I really like. Um, what do I got here? Oh, so when you can't realize if you're listening to this is that all the dialogue between death and the bone setter is it just italics and it is not in quotations. So it's implied telepathy. He's basically communicating with death in his mind. And so that's one of the disadvantages, I guess, of reading it out loud is that you might miss that detail of like to see the language on the page, you realize that, oh, they have this kind of neural connection going on. So I just thought it was interesting that right off the hop when death says, do not save this one, that's your explosion. That's your big conflict. Death itself is like, don't save this one. Yeah. And that's that's only a couple paragraphs down. And so we're like, we got a question, we're going and we're like, oh, Death don't want him to save this person. Um, <laughs> I found myself in see in the second read through, I actually found some sympathy for death, right? Where I realized, oh, death was kind of being nice. He was trying, yeah. or she, she, they were trying to save the bone setter from some anguish. But on my first read through, I was like, death's a motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I didn't like right. death. Um, and no, I love playing with. I love playing with that. I love playing with your impressions of characters when you first read them. Um, I like the shift of where you realize what's actually happening, and then upon second reading, the yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Especially for a short story, right? Like, 
to have a big ruse or something like that. Um, like in my episode with JH, I had a story where there was a reveal at the end. It was like a twist ending. And so, but it was about this length. So it was short and we get to a certain point and it was like, ah, got you, tricked you. You thought it was this, but it's not that hard to do that in a novel. And when you do that, it's masterful if you, if you pull it off yeah. because it's just, it's so much more set up, right? It's so much mm-hmm. more, so um, much, so much more. And you don't, in a way with the novel, you're, it's a way less likely chance that that reader is going to put it down and pick it up again. Yeah. So as a novel writer, you know that it's like, if you're going to set up for this big reveal and then you have the reveal, you have to have enough in there that if they were going through it, they could have picked it up themselves, but not enough so that they feel cheated. Like, you know, like there's, there's a line. Very careful balance. The payoff has to be real good. Um, yeah. I find in, 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 uh, in novels, which is why I say it's masterful. Cause it's, maybe it's not, maybe I just think it's easier no. in short stories. But. Well, it, I think that's fair to say. I mean, short stories are easier to write than a novel. Is that fair sure. to say? <laughs> because I would say that's accurate. It's, it's, um, the, the principles, again, yeah, the principles are the same. Many of the principles are the same in terms of conflict and pull-in and character and setting and all that stuff. You still need to ground the reader. Yes. But a novel is, I think, in many ways harder because there's a lot more there. And that's just the simple of it. And, like, the high point of a, of a novel, this high-conflict scene, makes a great short story. Yeah. We have questions, but we're entertained. Yeah. But the novel itself, I, in my experience, I'd say is more work. But this is like, it's still you're operating on the same principles. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a huge check mark. Check marks are my way of, I like this line. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Oh, this line. A woman rushed toward him, concern etched in every line of her face, but her worry wasn't what set him on edge. Like, it's so, like, I see her and it's, just like the, the etched on her face, but it's like, that's not what sets him off edge. And then you realize it's like, he feels like apologizing. And I just thought that was really a good line that sort of like jumped off the page for me. Um, I wrote something here. Sometimes I try to guess where a story might be going. Yeah. And I wrote smoking gun question mark as I was going through it, where you mentioned that he, he knew he wouldn't even catch a glimpse of the grim reaper. He never did. And so I thought, smoking gun? Is he going to see him later? And I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah. Well, but, actually, I was tempted to rewrite it so that death is just constantly over his shoulder, like the the like just having the Grim Reaper over your shoulder mm. constantly, like that kind of visual. Um, but I did not have time for a rewrite, so I, <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to leave it and see how that goes. Um, but I really also like that line, so I don't know if I'm going to change that or not. Yeah, well, I feel like if the story, if you expanded it, if you were like, I'm going to jam another, because you said there's more that you feel you could put in here, you could yeah. maybe play with that dynamic a little more. I don't think sure. that'll, that yeah. that won't hurt the story. Um, okay. Uh, you probably are already aware, because these, are, these aren't these are finished drafts in the sense of like, this yeah. is a, when I get a writer on my podcast and we do that, I tell them, this is a first solid draft that's all it is it's not because if it's super prim and polished and you've already had someone go over it and feedback then it's like it kind of robs some of the criticism that can happen but 
I'm also, mm. I'm not a nitpicker, but I will say there was a couple, there was only two times I think I could find where your tense shifted. Yes. You noticed that? I initially wrote it in a diff, in the different tense. You wrote in present tense and then switched? Yeah. Oh and yeah, that I, happens. You don't catch I, it. Um, I don't usually write in present tense. And so then I started reading it and I kept switching back and forth. So I was mm. like, oh, I'll switch. I'll switch it to past, which I'm, I'm used to writing in. And then I missed a bunch of them. Um, and then I confused myself. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, like for, for people who don't know, don't know what I mean by tense, uh, the line is, for instance, like the woman seemed familiar, but the bone setter can't figure out how or why. When the so everything is past tense. A woman rushed towards him in the past. Concern etched in the past in every line of her face, but her worry wasn't in the past. What set him on edge? The woman seemed familiar, but the bone setter can't present. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's what I, when when I say tense, that's what I mean for people who don't know. I know you know, but well, yeah, and I definitely missed a few. So just a couple, uh, a couple that I caught. But I think on the first one, you said you corrected verbally what I have written. Yeah, because I've been practicing it, and I was like, "Oh, Crystal, you missed these guys." <laughs> yeah, All so right. you you're fully aware then, so that's cool. Um, another line I have two check marks is, before he can figure out why, the sharp pain in his head returned, screaming like a banshee in search of vengeance. I was like, "Whoa!" Like, <laughs> yeah that that line had some, <laughs> that line had some steam. That was like boom, like that's intense. So I just really love that. Awesome. Um, Thin as a reed. I really like that description of Kara or Kara. Yep. Thin as a reed. She stared at him with wide eyes that seemed too much, too big for her face. Um, I just thought that was cool. So the man of the seventh hour, I didn't know what that meant exactly. And on second read through, I was like, there's some lore here that's yeah. going on. And what I came to my conclusion in the second was, and tell me if I'm off, but his daughter. So, right. So, okay. Yeah. So his daughter, the girl, Kara, uh, who's the daughter of the woman whose house he's called to and to fix her new partner, Liam, basically. She's like, Oh, are you the man of the seventh hour? And she's like, the butcher boy says you're going to heal my father. He also says you're going to put me in your sack and steal me away. And, and like, at first I was like, what's she talking about? But on the second through, I was like, you know what it is? It's like, there is a kind of lore and mythology and like rumors and stuff that people say, and they know the town peoples know that this is the man who knocked up the woman. This is the man who yeah, yeah. gave birth to the child. And so the fact that she was desperate enough, like to call on him or to somehow for the call to send him there, like to bring him there to heal her new lover, so to speak, is sort of tragic in and of itself. And that the daughter knows that this is like, she wouldn't necessarily know that it's her father is my impression, but that's the butcher boy might know and the town might know or something. It's like, it's like there's a dynamic there that's really interesting. And it's like a, it's a whole layer of how terrible, like the woman maybe, or the butcher, they're under the impression that for the bone setter to come in, there's an exchange. You want me to fix your father? Give me your <laughs> child. Like that's, that's messed up. But tell me how off I am about that. No, it's in your interpretation is really interesting. Um, <laughs> So, uh, again, this is, this is an effect of me cutting, cutting a lot of stuff. Um, so 
the man of the seventh hour, it's actually, so my background is Acadian, so French Canadian. And there is folklore about the man of the seventh hour or uh, Bonhomme oh. Septa. And it's basically, he's a bone setter. He comes to people's houses. What? Really? However, like he carries a sack and he has his tools in his sack. But in order to like get your kids to go to sleep before, like at an appropriate time, they would say, if you're not in bed by seven o'clock, the man of the seventh hour is going to come and put you in a stack and sack and steal you away. French and, are so weird. <laughs> to to the woods and like eat you and you'll never return. Huh. You know, so like uh, fairy tale, like Grimm's brother kind of uh, kind of deal, but for French Canadian history. Yeah. So I've always wanted to. Um, and this is where I'm talking about, like, I, I wanted to mash different ideas together. I wanted yeah. to write about this, but in a, in a different, my own um, take on it. Yeah. Um, and so that's what that is. So in the village, everybody knows who he is. They know he is the healer. He is the bone setter. And the call is when someone is injured, he comes mm. to, to heal. Um, but also there's that lore around... Um, you know, Kara doesn't know that he's actually her father. Yeah, um, I, I wasn't sure. I didn't think so based on that comment. Yeah, well, it's 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 definitely something that likely needs further clarification. Um, but it's just it's the lore that these kids have in in the village where it's this this I mean this man in a cloak who comes out of the forest with a sack over his shoulders. Yeah, it's it's Jim. It, it, every town's got one yeah that's fine but it's that like i was just trying to wrap that folklore kind of into the the story yeah that's really cool um and so obviously expanding on that i think would would add a lot to the story um so yeah. yeah yeah okay that's that's really cool yeah so i had a question about that but another line i really loved was he knew his voice sounded anything but soothing um, he speaks very little in this story. And mm. it's like, I can hear him. I can see him. And it's like, that was just a really good direction there. Um, I have, fuck you, death. I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's awesome. That's at the save, save your anguish, give him to me. So like, even at that point, like I cared enough. Yeah. Where I was like, like, come on, death. Like what, what's your big deal? I also wrote ooh with lots of O's. Oh, nice. That's, okay. That's that's, that's my the plot thickens. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> um I thought there was a very interesting and mist, uh, magical description of the healing that I thought you did really well. Um <laughs> probably your experience like writing in the fantasy genre has served you well because I'm not a fantasy reader much. I don't often read fantasies. This is actually helping convert me into the possibility of maybe there's something I would really like out of fantasy, or maybe there's something I could do with fantasy. So that's a good compliment because I mean, oh, you could also get, I could also get the opposite of I don't. This yeah. is well, yeah. I I've been getting more and more intrigued with fantasy. Another prompt that we did, I forget which one, but uh, we had a writer in our low key writers group, Chelsea Murray, not Chelsea Quasi, that's her maiden name. She wrote a fantasy short story, and it kind of got me thinking, like, oh, like. I never write fantasy. Like, so I was thinking that and I read this one. So it's like, oh man, there's even like, don't be surprised if my next prompt is a fantasy. Like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm up for it, but the, 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 
the healing process you describe really well. I'm just going to read these couple of lines. Yeah. Um, so like he ignoring his sack of tools, yada yada. He quickly laid both hands on Liam's body, one over the exposed and broken thigh bone, the other over the gaping wound on his side. The bone setter closed his eyes, focused on the call, and found Liam's pain. It hit the bone setter with the force of a winter's gale. The bone setter toppled into its depths. His muscles clenched, bracing for the moment of impact. And the next paragraph, it never arrived. I was like, that's like mystical and interesting. It opens up this, because it's almost like scientific in a sense that like what he's doing is he's sitting there and this is his process. But I can so strongly visualize that it's like, he's in another place entirely and he's getting hit with this pain. It was just really cool. It really like got my imagination going. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, um, cause I wanted to keep sort of the, I guess, medical kind of side to it. Um, and then describing the magic is always really critical in fantasy just because right. you need to see what's happening. Um, and, that can be incredibly challenging sometimes. Mm. Um, but I actually, I really do like how I wrote that. Good, this. good. You should. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm with myself on that one. So, yeah, it was good. Like, yeah, very like strong imagery. Uh, another line that you, I feel like, I don't know how naturally this came out of you, but this is a very, very important line in terms of stage direction. Liam and the woman stood in front of him and the bone setter knew he stood within his patient's memory, Liam's memory. In a moment of blinding clarity, he knew he did not want to see it unfold. Like, I feel like my instinct as a writer would have been to somehow try to like strictly show it and make see if the reader could come to that conclusion on their own. But that would have been a failed attempt, and I would have been frustrated at trying to find the right sentence to kind of be like, this is what's going on. This is technically a bit of exposition, but this is very good exposition because you would have confused everybody if you didn't have that in there. Like, yeah, it's it's a lesson learned over time, definitely, because I think uh, a lot of times as a writer, I'm trying to be really clever about how, how I describe things, but... Um, in that particular scene, I definitely had that thought of, of if I do not explain that this is yeah, yeah. memory and that this is a very specific thing, like nobody's going to, nobody's going to get it. I can't be sort of ethereal about it. It has mm. to be very direct and to the point. Otherwise people, I'm going to lose everybody. Yeah. Um, a very deliberate decision. Yeah. Yeah. And in, ter in terms of exposition, like you don't have all that much, but it's quite balanced. Like exposition, for people who don't know is when you are explaining like the rules or the dynamic of a, of a story, you're kind of like, you know, uh, Soren said, you crazy bitch. He said this because yesterday she did this to him. And, you know, it's like, you kind of go on and you're just like explaining the story or, or the things that you need to know to understand the story. But you, when those little sentences come up, it's just a little bit here, a little bit there. And it's like, it comes through unnoticed. And that's very masterful. If you had a big old chunk of exposition. So let me tell you about death and why death is hanging over this guy's shoulder. It robs the person of the moment. It robs them out of the story. So you know what you're doing. Well, thank you. Again, you, I mean, that the word count limit really. And yeah, uh, it's a challenge for oh, fantasy, for fantasy in yeah. particular. 
Um, there's often... So it's like every word has to count. If it doesn't matter, like take it out if it doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. Correct. And then you can always expand later when you, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you could 100% make this bigger. Yeah. Um, now, I have one story question that I felt okay. like I want, I don't know what you think of this. And I don't know if this is just my inclination as a storyteller inserting myself. And so it's not good critique to give you. Okay. But he, the, he visits this painful memory, right? Mm-hmm. And then the bone setter immediately loses the memory. I found afterward, like right towards the end, he swallowed hard as the memory faded and disappeared forever. And then listen well, bone setter, death's voice is gentle, even as it is cruel, even gods must pay a price. But I thought, what if it would, it would it be more impactful possibly if he has to somehow live with these memories? But then I also realized that that kind of means that he would, probably have memories that if he's coming in so it kind of like it there's something there that doesn't quite work mm-hmm. yeah or, i would agree with that i think um because he like he has this memory and it's like whoa like yeah that's the price even gods have a price but then i, I just thought about it's it like well in a way maybe he doesn't he doesn't have the weight of that price for long because he doesn't remember ultimately i think i need to make it more clear um that it's more a deliberate choice on his part to get rid of, to, oh, to so like, rid of the memory. like he, because it's so painful for him that, you know, he has to take on this pain. He has to take on these painful memories. Oh, yeah. What if it's like, um, he's got to like stuff the memory down kind of thing. Like he's got to take he's it. Just, he's just making a nice old ball of, you know, just pushing it out of yeah. sight. Out of and you could, um, that's like a line you could maybe add yeah. or something. And you could be like, you know, stuff it down or something like all the rest. You know, like right. it could be implying that this is, this is why his memories are so buried deep. Like that, I don't know, that connection you made right there, I feel like would keep the impact for me. Yeah. Because it's not only, I mean, he's healing different people too. And he's, he's literally, he's taking their pain. He's taking a, a memory that is likely extremely sad mm-hmm. um, or difficult. And it's part of why he lives in the woods. He's just, it's it's overwhelming. He, he can't live with these people because he has to take that on. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, definitely clarifying that I, I, um, is a good suggestion. So thank you for pointing that out. No problem. I think, I mean, that would, that would probably be like the only suggestion that I had, but like, and the other suggestion, I guess I would say is like, this to me seems like one for sure you could expand on if you wanted to make into something bigger, because it's like, it's an interesting world and a dynamic and there's, I feel like there's more story that you could tell, but for the word count of where it's at, you hit it right. Like a hammer on the nail. You did an excellent job. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is there any questions you have for me? Is there anything else you'd like me to comment on? Um, I mean, I think you hit all the things that I was thinking about too, or the the lines that I enjoyed. Um, the ending was, you know, excellent point. Um, and I really do want to expand this one because, again, it was really fun mm-hmm. to write. And um, I think I got something like I got a kernel of something that can be really, really good, really interesting. Uh, could be a novella, could be a novel. We don't know. But yeah, uh, uh, it was fun to visit another world and some other characters for a little while. 
um, and take that break from, yeah. from the novel. So. That's good. And it's good as it is. Like, you don't have to expand it. Right. You don't, right. you don't have to. But if you, if you enjoyed it, if you like that playground, I feel like I wouldn't warn you against playing in it some more is what right. I'd say. Yeah. I'm, I'm gonna, I do this thing. I do let my short stories sit for a little bit and then I mm. come back to them like for like a couple of weeks. Um, and then I also have to sort through, um, what I want to add. Right. Um, but the places where you've kind of mentioned where it's like a little bit unclear, like with the daughter, with the man of the seventh hour, those are all places where I know I can expand on and I, and, and that's kind of the plan. So, right. um, it's good that you as the reader pointed it out because it does mean, yeah, like I, I need to, to, there's more juice you can squeeze there. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, well, thank you very much for reading this story. I thought it was excellent. And speaking of juice to squeeze, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do. That's what you do when you want to segue, by the way, and you have no way you just like take whatever they said and then you just say what you're going to say. Right. Noted. I'm going to use that next time. It works for literally that. anything. Like it's, literally anything. I love it. You just repeat what they said. Speaking of that, yeah. this is what I was thinking. <laughs> and they'll be like, what? So um, I do feel like this is a good place to end the episode because we had a nice introduction. We had your story. Now, there is still my story to come. And we're going to get into that on next week or next two weeks. I... I haven't decided if I'm doing these every two weeks or every week, but um, when the next episode comes out, it'll be part two with Crystal Bork, and we'll be reading my story to the same prompt and getting her feedback for me and getting into some even more interesting stuff for writers and people who are creative of all sorts. So um, where can people find you if they're looking for you or your books? You can find me at uh, crystalbork.com. Uh, I can spell my name, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-B-O-U-R-Q-U-E. Um, you can also find me on Amazon and on Kobo. Uh, my books are available in both uh, ebook form and in paperback. Yeah, and I highly encourage people to read it because Crystal's a fantastic writer. And we're going to hear more from her next week. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T.com. Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and same.